0: This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, well now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome back. Annie merry mitchell christmas merry christmas to everyone and uh blessed feast of theophany the circumcision of the lord the mother of god i tell you what John a lot Baptist, has happened
1: since Saint last we i together. mean it's everything
0: yeah it's everything yeah. so here we are god has intervened in our lives has broken through and is in our presence and we are living now in the glory of the lord very excited to be here for our sunday gospel reflection as we um as we prepare ourselves now for this second sunday in ordinary time ordinary
1: which, time already
0: <laughs> i know here we go here we go
1: your favorite season
0: yeah my favorite no this is really this is con- obviously the, the as the liturgy shows we continue on so regardless of what we're going to call it this is now a continuation living in the light of the, the the gift of um all of these beautiful feasts that we have enjoyed in in really in light of epiphany or in this known in the east theophany which is probably the first thing i need to say about what yeah. we're gonna be looking at today is that the word okay well let's just take the word apart epiphany or epiphany right the 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 showing forth from epi is like for the doctors nurses right epi is like on oh, the yeah, surface yeah. of right the showing forth from from above yeah or theophany is the showing forth of god the revelation of god and so in the in the byzantine east the feast on january 6th is that of the baptism of the lord for the roman catholic calendar, it's very confusing now for father hezekiah because the bishop's Are moving stuff here and there. If it's on Sunday, they move it to over there. If it's not on the, it's on a weekday, they move it to Sunday. I can't figure it all, but what I can figure is this: is that, or what I do know is this: is that all of these were originally one feast, and we've said that many times. That Christmas, the Nativity of the Lord, celebrated currently on December twenty fifth, is is actually was originally. I mean, we got to go back. Now we're all traditionalists here, right? Which means you know anything anything past about you know the year. 200 50. is modernism, yeah, right. and uh, <laughs> so and I also need to apologize. I have a cold, so we're gonna do our thing here. I'm wheezing a little bit, we're gonna get through it. We might cut things a little short depending on how things go, but if I cough <clears throat> and clear my chest, that's why I apologize. Anyways, epiphany, theophany, the showing forth, all one why, because liturgically liturgically the 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 incarnation the, the birth of christ today in our liturgical experience is very much historically rooted in this the christ child right we have the crèche scene we have all of these things we re, the reenactment business but liturgically this wasn't always the way it was really focused upon but more importantly focused upon who this child is right so the greater feast than the, than the feast of of The of Christmas was traditionally held by the church to be that of Epiphany or Theophany. Why? Because it's not until Epiphany or Theophany that you know who this child is. What child is this? What child is this? And so so we 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 celebrate all of these feasts. Okay, I'll I'll translate. I'm not gonna use Christmas, Theophany, Epiphany. The birth of Jesus, the visitation of the wise men, the baptism of the Lord, the wedding at Cana. These are all theophanic, right? These are all God showing, right? But really the nativity is only understood in light of the other three, right? When when we hear and we see the reality of who this one is, okay? Yeah. I say all of that because we, um, as we continue on now in the second Sunday of ordinary time, we're living in the light of this theophany, this breaking in of God into the created order. Yeah. Um, and uh um and we kind of follow that theme now into John, but starting with Isaiah. That's my yeah. introductory thoughts. Let's go.
1: Yeah, it's pretty clear. Okay, so here are the readings for the second Sunday in ordinary time. Get your Bibles ready, get here your folks out, and this is what we've got for the first reading. It'll be Isaiah chapter 49, and we'll read verse three as a bit of a setup, and then verses five and six. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 40, the Gospel is John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, and the Epistle is St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So we're starting with Isaiah today. Here we go not uh not much different from being an advent i suppose yes we suppose we suppose all right here we go isaiah chapter 49 and again we're starting in verse three if you're following along in your bible and then skipping verse four which
0: one with verse four in like verse four i guess
1: i have no idea yeah okay maybe we can look at it when we're when we're done here i'll read the lectionary version first all right here we go the lord said to me you are my servant Israel, through whom I show my glory. Now the Lord has spoken, who formed me as his servant from the womb, that Jacob may be brought back to him and Israel gathered to him. And I am made glorious in the sight of the Lord. And my God is now my strength. It is too little, the Lord says, for you to be my servant to raise up the tribes of jacob and restore the survivors of israel i will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth okay father so first of all um you know, as is our custom here on SGR. Can you give us a sense of of what's going on in Isaiah when we come to this passage?
0: Well, lest everybody drive their car off the closest cliff, I am not going to do what what we've been doing ad nauseum, which is tell you where Isaiah fits into salvation history. Sure, You can do that by going back to to Isaiah chapter one, verse one and following. Okay. Now, now that I've prevented you from uh from total destruction let's go back to chapter 48 just up a few verses to verse 20. go forth from Babylon free from Chaldea declare this with a shout of joy proclaim it send it forth to the end of the earth say the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts and so forth and so forth and so forth. okay now there's my immediate context what is being talked about in the passage that we're talking about we're talking about the return from babylon isaiah is prophesying now in the second half of his prophecy which really the turning point we've looked at before is chapter 40 verses uh verses one and following which you're all familiar with um or i should say verse three and following which you're all familiar with a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight the desert and a highway for our God which of course when we look at John the Baptist in a few minutes which quotes this text right mm-hmm. so John sees what's taking place and is prophesying in light of Isaiah's prophecy that now what Isaiah was talking about is is happening now John's down to Jordan River right and he's about right. to baptize Jesus So we're going to read then Isaiah as John points us to Jesus. We're going to read Isaiah as pointing then to Jesus and prophesying what's taking place. So we've talked about prophets before, about how they, when they speak, they can have multiple layers of meaning because it's not only the person speaking, but it's God speaking through the person, right? And so they can observe what's taking place around them and observe it truly. They're not fortune tellers. Right, prophets are not fortunate of for- telling the future. They are telling what's they're 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 seeing the signs of the times, if you will. Right, and they're saying what's going on. But while they're doing that, they're also saying what is about to take place because of what they see. So when they see, for example, Ahaz, you know, doing what Ahaz does, he's like, mm, this ain't gonna go well. You know, Babylon's gonna come and conquer all of you people. Okay. Similarly. Isaiah prophesies during the time, uh, looking towards the time of the exile itself, saying when Israel gets itself right with God, then God will intervene. We know because he did so in the life of Israel in Egypt. Do you expect anything different? Right. The Lord doesn't change. So when your heart returns to him, then this is what's going to happen. And so we get in chapter 40, this kind of restoration theology uh, uh, prophecy in which which comes to fruition in what we're reading in, 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 in chapter 49 and, and actually chapter 48 and verse 20, when it says, get out of Babylon, it's over, right? And so your context for that, going back now, Bible study friends, is going to be the last chapter of Chronicles, okay? We've talked a lot about the Babylon exile. We don't always talk about the return all that much, but we need to do that right now. Let's go back to Second Chronicles. And and since our goal here is just to become biblically literate here at the Institute of Catholic Culture, um, and uh, um, we'll just remember that First and Second Kings is written to all of the tribes of Israel, right? All the twelve tribes, but Chronicles is written just specifically for Judah. That's the yeah. the the tribe, the 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 kingly tribe, right? Judah around Jerusalem, around the throne. You all know because we've been studying all the schism that took place between when Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the big mm-hmm. all that business that took place. And <clears throat> if you haven't you got to go listen and watch and participate in our swords and serpent series so that you're familiar with all of this stuff now they go into exile for 70 years and they return but when it returns here you go in second corinthians chapter 36 second chronicles sorry second chronicles is that in the new testament uh yeah no it's in the old testament second chronicles thank you very much annie for making a complete moron of myself <laughs> Um, and uh second chronicles chapter 36
1: people flip into the wrong part of their bible that's That's right
0: right. verse 22 or uh, you know what just for all of us just to because we have a lot of love here at the institute we know that Babylonian exile business and what was going on we remember jeremiah chapter 34 how they didn't observe the jubilee year right Right. they didn't and so look at this verse 21 to fulfill the Lord, to fill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land enjoyed its sabbaths, right? Mm, until it nice. enjoyed its jubilee, until it rested, right? Because they had been abusing and enslaving the people. So, the and and who's going to enjoy those sabbaths? What's well, going to be the remnant that was left, right? At the end of Second Kings chapter twenty-five, when a remnant is left there, and who was that remnant? They were the slaves that had been enslaved. They're left in the land, and they're given seventy years. They're given a Sabbath, Sabbaths, cool. a Sabbath of Sabbaths, right? Seven times yeah. seven, right? And, 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 and seven times Well, Okay. Edit that. Edit that. I'm going to read this again. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed its Sabbaths. Okay. So they're given the, the, the land and the people that are left there. And remember the remnant that's left in Jerusalem in second chapter 25 are those that had been enslaved, right? And now They're given 70 years, right? The the Sabbath of Sabbaths. They're going to stay there and remain in in enjoying the land that they had been enslaved in and and in bondage. They're now free. And now the people are going to return. Look at this verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord of the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. the The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So that he made a proclamation to all his kingdom and all and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's charged me to build a house in Jerusalem. Stop. Stop. What? Cyrus? Okay, first of all, you have to understand that Persia conquered Babylon. And so Persia is now the, the power, just like the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians. Okay, now the Persians are in control of the world. They're the most powerful and they're in control of Babylon. And the Jews are there in slavery for seven years. Cyrus comes to the throne. And what? The Lord intervenes in his life, sends a spirit upon him, and anoints him. Wow. Cyrus, yeah. the Messiah. Well, I'm getting excited because Cyrus is amazing. And if you just turn your page of your Bible to the next, to the book of Ezra and read chapter one, you're going to see a further proclamation. Just like Pharaoh, just like Israel went out of Egypt, Right. At the time when Pharaoh, and the, 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 the plagues and so forth. And they left with Egyptian gold. Like they were loaded down. So God is going to intervene in the same way. Cyrus is going to load them with gold. Send them back to the promised land. Because Cyrus has become a worshiper of the one true God. Yeah. And this all happens now in Isaiah chapter 40. And following in chapter 48. So go forth from Babylon. Right? In chapter 49. And that's our context. They've, they're, 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 they're going to head out, and there's your context in Second Chronicles, and in in Ezra chapter one, and now here we can read this in its proper context because Annie, as you were reading this, I got to tell you, it sounded like we were doing the reading at mass on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. When which we when we we helicopter into the text,
1: yeah. and we have to
0: give emphasis. I'm giving you a hard time. And how you're in. You get to get Well, emphasis. yeah.
1: Well, I was gonna say, I I am so glad to have the context now because it makes a whole heck of a lot more sense. This idea of um it is too little for you to be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. Like the Babylonian it, it, exile with return from that is not enough.
0: Good. And I will make and and then the the the, the clincher on this whole bit. So there's okay, there's there's two things here in this text. That we've got to look at the, the the first one is the movement from servant or slave
1: mm-hmm. to son yeah
0: and this is fundamentally important to the old testament peoples and of course the revelation of the new testament that israel is is not a, a, a slave to god as israel was a slave to pharaoh right they are servants but servants of a, of a new nature, yeah? And that new nature is to be this, which is the second part of this thing, is to be a light to the nations. They are to be like God, who is the light of the world, right? And we're gonna see that in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was, was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. With, without him was made nothing It was made, in him was life. And life was the light of men, like shined in the darkness, right? That's all Genesis, uh, language yeah israel in its in its formation in the old testament was meant to be that light and we get that all the way back in genesis chapter 12 the uh, uh with abraham if you want to flip back there real quick notice the calling of abraham the covenant that is established between god and abraham in chapter 12 the blessing which abraham receives in verse 3 chapter 12 verse 3 of genesis I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who curse you, I will curse. And, and in you, all the families of the earth shall, be, shall bless themselves. So far from being separatists, far from being isolationists, and, and this is, I'm going to go after uh, as a hobby horse for just a moment. This idea of holiness, which Israel is called to, to be holy to the Lord. And if I ask you right now, what does the word holy mean? It means, Annie, come on, do it to me. Set apart. Set apart. This is the this is the the textbook answer, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's an insufficient answer. You are set apart for a purpose. And that purpose is that you may no longer be set apart. Mm. Or that the whole world might be set apart. Right? Mm. Set apart from what's going on. So that you can change what's going on, yeah. That's what Israel was meant to be—a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, if you will. Okay, and here we have it in in Isaiah chapter forty-nine. And this this transition is it, it. It is too little, the Lord says, for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob. Jacob is right, our forefather Jacob, who gets a new name, Israel. That's twelve. Who has twelve sons, right? So when we talk about Jacob, we're talking about all of the family of God. I'm talking about Israel, the Old Testament, the Church of the Old Testament, and restore the survivors of Israel. Who are the survivors of Israel? Noah's went into Babylon.,
1: yeah.
0: right? And then, boom, for a purpose, I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth, okay? And this is the whole thing, and this is why you have to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ in terms of the Old Testament, is God doesn't change his plan. When we're reading the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to understand that, that Jesus is doing, I'm going to risk saying something, he's not doing something new. I know there's of the passages uh, it's, uh, that you could pluck out of the verse and like, okay, and then you got the New Testament, right, and the New Covenant, okay, fine. But he's doing these things as a restoration of what was supposed to happen. That's the point. And then Isaiah is is prophesying now, yes, the return of Israel from Babylon. But more importantly, he's prophesying the return of God's people from their exile in covenant with the devil. Right. Ultimately, what's going on in Babylon, what's going on in Egypt is just an incarnation of manifestation what's going on in humanity does that make sense annie yeah yeah and and we get salvation history in the stories as indicate uh, i know incarnations of the bigger problem
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's why salvation history is always in, ch- in light of genesis chapters one two three right mm-hmm. uh, pharaoh and israel babylon and so forth always in light of Genesis 1 through 3, and therefore Jesus in light of 1 through 3, and therefore every prophecy pointing the way to the full restoration, because Israel is going to come back. They're going to come back loaded with gold, with Cyrus's gold. They're going to come back to be a light to the nations, but unfortunately, they're not going to be. And we've seen that too many times, we are not to get into that today. But but the, the, that's the point, right? That's the goal, is that Adam and Eve in paradise were meant to be a light. They were meant in, in this way. That God gave, placed in their hands, in their hearts, his life. And they were meant to till and keep the garden so that the garden would be divinized, we f- would flourish with God's life. They were to bless creation and make it holy. So their job was this, this a priesthood in paradise in which they were to sanctify, make holy all of creation. But they failed to do that because they failed to do what God asked them to do. And therefore, everything that got a place in their hands fell at that moment. It was exiled from God. And Jesus has come to make that happen again, to restore that to us. And he begins that, of course, the Jordan River. Um, But before we get to the Jordan River, we have to look at the response for all Psalms, unless you have another question about Isaiah, Annie.
1: No, I was going to say it's a nice transition when you think about that being the will of God. Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will is the response.
0: There it is. And that's that's ultimately what Israel is dealing with in Babylon. What Isaiah prophesies that when Israel comes to this realization that that they are to be the servants of the Lord. And of course, the Lord's response is then to make them more than servants then when they when we open our heart to God's will in our life then his will will be done right and then through flowing through us will be the life of God we will become that light we have to keep reading though here I am this and again that responsorial psalm I maybe I haven't said this in a little while because I, I'm always harking on it here at the Institute and that is it is a psalm it is a song it's meant to be sung yeah and this and music opens our heart right so beautifully to that which the music is in bringing about so we're meant to sing this and open our hearts we who find ourselves in darkness in exile that the light of the world which has now come to us might enlighten us and through us enlighten those around us here i am lord i do my uh, to, uh, i come to do your will i have waited waited for the lord this is psalm 40 okay you can read the whole psalm i have waited waited for the lord and he stooped toward me and heard my cry and he put a new song into my mouth, a hymn to our God. That's so, that's so New Testament. It's so beautiful, right? Yeah. The word of the Lord has come to dwell among us. Sacrifice, and this is, we have to spend a little bit of time here, Andy. Sacrifice or offering you wished not, but ears open to obedience you gave me. Holocaust or sin offerings you sought not. Then, I, then said I, behold, I come. It is in in the written scroll. It is prescribed for me to do Your will, O oh my God, is my delight, and Your law is within is within my heart. Okay, this is huge. This is the the fundamental issue going on in the Old Testament, a fundamental issue which is the which is which is which is the downfall of Israel at the at the Babylonian exile, and it's ultimately gonna be the downfall of Israel post Babylonian exile, and that is. That it's not just a matter of doing stuff; it's a matter of doing them right, which is why when we've looked at uh, at uh, at Malachi and other uh, other prof- return, prophets that return from Babylon, their prophets are saying, "What are you doing? Offering lame you know, lame animals and blind animals and stuff like that. Where is your heart, Israel? It's not just a matter of doing the thing, but it's a matter of entering into communion. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to share with you the beautiful words of. The great Pope Benedict, who recently reposed in the Lord, and by the way, if I can just do a little hobby horse while I turn to the page, in his Spirit of the Liturgy, which I highly recommend to you, the Spirit of the Liturgy by Cardinal Ratzinger. Can Tell we me what stop? page,
1: I just pulled mine off the shelf too.
0: Okay, I'm on page, I'm on, my usually my book just opens right to it because I turn this passage so often, page uh, 27. Okay, got it. Can we please? This is my father Hezekiah's hobby horse? Can we please stop calling him Pope Emeritus Benedict, who died? Yeah. Once he died, he stopped being emeritus. Otherwise, we got a bunch of Pope Emeritus like John Paul <laughs> II. All these people. It's not a permanent, you know. For right. God, that right. drives me it crazy. Sense. All the funeral, everything, even in the Vatican, the Pope Emeritus Benedict, in the funeral service. I think we just got, got his title. To-
1: it was such a weird situation we found ourselves in with a retired Pope, an emeritus Pope who was still alive. I think it was, yeah. No, but I'm with you. I'm totally with you.
0: Pope oh, Benedict XVI. Pope Benedict
1: the Sixteenth.
0: Here he is on page 27, about halfway down, Annie, because you've got oh, three quarters. Of me, first of last full paragraph. I'm going to share it with you guys. Listen to this. Once again, we face the question, what is worship? What happens when we worship? And this is ultimately this is the question that Israel is facing in exile in Babylon. How are we supposed to worship? We're not in Jerusalem. We're not in the temple. Right? What's what are we supposed to do? We can't offer all the sacrifices. Right? And here in Psalm forty, the psalmist goes after this and says, "Look, what God really wants is not a a, a goat with its head sliced off. <laughs> right? He wants you with a circumcised heart. Okay. And and the goat." is is only a way in which we who are physical material beings can manifest this reality of what is here but if it's not here forget about it right yeah okay what is worship what happens when we worship in all religions sacrifices at the heart of worship but this is a concept that has been buried under the debris of endless misunderstandings the common view is that sacrifice is something to do with destruction, right? Killing the goat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It means handing over to God a reality that is in some way precious to man. And this is, this is prevalent, by the way, in Christian thought. What do we? Wh- wh- why do you offer incense? Well, it's precious. And so what does this mean that you're burning it? Well, we're getting rid of it. We're giving it to God because we can't use it anymore once we burn it. So don't tell me it's just an Old Testament problem. It's a New Testament problem. It means handing over to God a reality in some way precious to man. There it is. Now this handing over presupposes that it is withdrawn from use by man, and that can that can only happen through its destruction, its definitive removal from the hands of man. But this immediately raises the question: What pleasure is God supposed to take in destruction? Hmm. One answer is that destruction always conceals within itself the act of acknowledging God's sovereignty over all things. But can such a mechanical act really serve God's glory? Obviously not. True surrender to God looks very different. It consists, according to the fathers, in a fidelity with biblical thought, in the union of man and creation with God. Belonging to God has nothing to do with destruction or non-being. It is rather a way of being. That's the most important point right there. It is a way of being. And now he's going to go after this thing a little bit more. It means emerging from a state of separation and apparent autonomy of existing only for oneself and in oneself. And it means losing oneself is the only way, uh, only possible way of finding oneself. That is why St. Augustine could say that the true sacrifice is the Civitas Day, that is love transformed mankind divinization of creation and the surrender of all things to god god all in all that is the purpose of the world that is the essence of sacrifice and worship okay i had to get that out there because not only is pope benedict awesome amazing um but but because it it, it hits here on this responsorial psalm of what god is asking and the church is asking us to do this coming sunday And I got to get on another little hobby horse very quickly and I'll get it out of the way. And that is the church is not asking you to fulfill your Sunday obligation. Fulfilling your Sunday obligation is going to do, I'm going to risk being completely. Yeah. It's going to do nothing for you. Now, half the people just clicked, stop the video and throw the Institute out. But for those few people that stayed with me, it's going to do nothing for you unless you enter into communion with God. This is why confession is so important. This is why communion is so important. The obligation is there to make sure you don't fall off the, the body of Christ. Yeah? What is the goal of our Sunday obligation? What is the purpose of it? It is to place us there so that we can do what Ratzinger's is talking about. Yeah, love transformed mankind that we can give our whole selves to the Lord rather than treat the church like a vending machine. Okay. And here we open our hearts to this. What's that? I just gimme, gimme. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. Here am I, here am I, Lord. I come to do your will. Yeah. I open my heart to your will, Lord. I want, I, I want to be able to say it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And in that, I share my, I, I, I step into the communion of the Holy Trinity. That's why this isn't all about the Babylonian exile, what Isaiah is talking about, the light to the nations. What do you mean the light to the nations? So you can go wave your Ten Commandment stones around? No. So that the nations can be restored to the image and likeness of God so that they, 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 they in, that in in living out the commandments, they live out the will of God in their life, right? The commandments are God's will written on stone in the Old Testament because, man, they've been separated from the Lord. But now the Lord's going to come and give us the spirit, right, in which the, the law, the will of God is within our heart. And that's what the psalm is talking about. It has everything to do with what John is talking about in the New Testament.
1: Well, then let's go see what John's talking about. John chapter 1.
0: Can I add, let me just add a half sentence because I wrote it sure. on my little piece of paper? When this happens, right? When this communion with the Lord takes place, then evangelization must necessarily follow. The light to the nations is a, is a natural outcome of the communion. Does that make and sense? Because God is love.
1: Basket. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. Now let's go to the New Testament.
1: Okay. John chapter one, and we are starting at verse 29. You ready, Father?
0: I am, but I just got to tell you that we got to broaden things out a little bit here from verse 29, because this is, we're like, again, we're jumping into the middle of something, but go yeah. ahead.
1: Okay. Well, we'll read this part first. Yeah. Yeah. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one of whom I said, A man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I did not know him, but the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John testified further, saying, I saw the spirit come down like a dove from heaven and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, on whomever you see the spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified that he is the son of God. Well, wow. so is this kind of like, um, you know, like you get like the eyewitness account on like the evening news, like they're interviewing John about the baptism of the Lord. Is that what's going on here?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean CNN. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, like they go up and put the microphone in his face. Well, I think that's
0: a lot of times how we read it, Annie, from a distance, and we kind of watch the thing happen. But I, I don't. But you have to get. Remember, you have to get inside the text, yeah. right? So there's, there's, um, uh, a there. Well, the author, right, John the Evangelist. Writes in a way that's very beautiful and very much in an old testament fashion, in which he writes poetically, um, and um uses certain um certain literary devices to help us see what he wants us to see. And I'll I'll give you an example of that. Um, um well going back to 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 the earlier verses of chapter one of John, John one verses one um verses one through 18 mm-hmm. is um is written in a chiastic structure that means that the, the 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 themes that are dealt with in the first few verses and in the last few verses are the same and they and then the next few and the next few and the next few and the next few until they get to the middle chiastic like the x right and sure. so the first verse okay this is really I should use my little marker board but okay so the the verses up here and the verses down here are the same until they get to the middle point the most important point of this text i'm asking what's the most important point of the prologue of john most people will say and god became man and dwelt among us but this because of course in the old mass this text was read at every mass at the end and that's the point when everybody genuflects Mm -hmm. but that is not the most important verse of john's Prologue, at least as far as John is concerned, because John is writing this chiasmic structure in which the center verse, the center line, is that he gave power to become children of God in verse twelve. Okay, because this is the point of the incarnation, right? God became man to what among us? So that, right? He didn't was a good in, uh, for uh, for his own sake, right? But right. so that he might give us power to become children of God, right? That we might be a light to the nations, um, that we might no longer be servants but sons, if you will. So John's prologue is written in, all, in that format also. And also here in this text, notice there's a number of there's a number of literary devices. I'll point out just one other one and then get to this point. Notice the repetition, verse 29, the next day, verse 35, the next day, verse 43, the next day. So there's, a, there's repetition going on. So John's using repetition, he's using structures, he's using framing devices in order to help you understand and see what he's talking about. We don't have time to get into all of this. Why he's saying all these things, but in this particular text, there is a framing device in which we see in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Look at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. You see that repetition there, right?
1: Right. So that
0: is a framing device all around this, the central the, the thing which is in the middle of this framing device which is that John bore witness and saw, said the spirit descended as a dove from heaven on him, right remained on him. So there's the point is that this, this this lamb of God is a lamb which has received the Holy Spirit. And I'm going way into detail beyond what your question is, Annie, but the, but the reason I'm saying that is that the answer is no, this is not CNN reporting uh, at the Jordan River. <laughs> this is John Writing a text which is which is poetically delivered so that you can draw out from it all the, the, the most important points that John wants you to see. So John is helping you see what's going on. And not only see what's going on, but see, right? To enter into what's going on and hear the Lord speak and stand at the Jordan River with the apostles and behold the Lamb for who he is.
1: Uh, well, actually, that brings me to another question. Um, does John the Baptist know him or not know him? I mean, it's like he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then like a couple of times he says, you, I did not you know ask me
0: this. You asked me this question like a month ago or whatever, two months ago. Maybe it was like a year ago. And I don't remember. I don't know. You remember when John don't
1: remember that long ago? Are you kidding me? I live in the present father. I just Re- live in the present,
0: remember when John's disciples go to when John? oh, yes, yeah, yeah yeah, right,
1: okay, yeah, that was right? place, you asked that question, yeah.
0: like did they not know right? Did they not know who he was?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: right? And John and John remember, and the fathers tell us he knew, but he, he he the way he spoke was to help them see,
1: sure, right, yeah,
0: and I think there's something similar here going on that John the Baptist knows. And we, we can just say from a human standpoint, he knows and he doesn't know. We can say that for sure. Like, I mean, do you know the Lord, Annie? Like, do you like, do you know the Lord? Right? Yeah. No. And and in this, in this, we can we can we, we we cannot no, we cannot conceive of, we don't wrap our mind around God because He is beyond our limited capacity. So in that sense, we can say no. But the prophet always embodies the people in the Old Testament. He oftentimes will live out what's going on in the life of the people so that they can see in him what's going on in them. the prophets like a mirror standing there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something similar going on here in this text, because we get this theme of knowledge throughout this text, go back to John chapter one, verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet. The world knew him not right. Okay. Now I'm going to go back. Actually. To verse five, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or it con- the word here is is to conceive, of, to to control, or to bound, bind in, right? And so it's a, a similar theme, similar idea, right? But mm-hmm. here, the world does not know him. And John, in throughout his gospel, I'm just going to point point out a couple of, of of times for you when this when this happens. In in John, I mean, how many times? They not understand who he was, right? The road to Emmaus, yeah. Uh, Mary Magdalene, but even back before the resurrection, there's many times when they're scratching: "Is he the Son of God?" We know this. We know, or 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 about the 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 paralytic who's uh, who's healed. You know, there's all these times in which John and the theme of knowledge comes out, and I think here with John the Baptist, he's embodying the reality that the people themselves. Are in darkness, they have not received the word. So John stands with them, right? And then John helps them do what John has done. And that's where you see this. Watch it, watch this in verse what we were reading, in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him. Okay. So, but he did not know him. But for this, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John more as I saw the spirit descend as a dove from heaven and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me. So, John's had a, John's had an aha experience. So John's he's had uh, revelation. He's, he's had a moment. Lord, right?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. There it is. So now John is going to do what God has done for him for the sake of others. And this is very beautiful when we think of Isaiah, right? A light to the nations. John is going to be that light, the the one who points the way. I always love to go into the churches. In the Byzantine tradition, there's always an icon uh, on the iconostasis that that separates the holy place from the, the nave of the church. It has John the Baptist on it. He's always there. And he's always pointing the way to the icon of Jesus. So I always like to go before the icon of John the Baptist and ask for his intercession that he show me the Lamb of God, right? And and then I may go through this process to come to know the one, who he did not know but has come to know because he sees him for who he is, which is fundamental to this text. That this isn't just—I mean, you can say what is, the Lamb of God. That's very—that's very cute, right? I like lambs. You like lambs. And we like God. So we like the Lamb of God, right? Yeah. The, 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 the Lamb, right? He's <laughs> so cute and so nice. But this is not what John is ta- John the Evangelist is talking about when he's writing. It's not what John the Baptist is pointing out. And we know this because of that non-CNN reading in which we see the literary structure of the text in which we have a framing device, which is the Lamb of God, the center of that framing device because you have to ask yourself, what's he talking about? What Lamb of God, Annie? What what does he mean? The lamb? What are the people supposed to see in this uh, 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 guy, right? This lamb of God guy. What's that supposed to mean? What's the lamb of God? You Christians need to wrap your mind around the Old Testament because we get disconnected from the Old Testament. And suddenly we said the lamb of God, that's nice. Let's move on with the mass.
1: I mean, I was going to go with the Passover. Am I wrong? There's
0: the Passover lamb, Annie, but is that the only lamb that God has provided?
1: No. There was, no um,
0: what else do we well, hear about when do we also ram, hear about a lamb being provided
1: well there was the the ram that got provided to isaac and I, abraham
0: R- exactly right so there's these old testament prophecies of the lamb but there's another lamb of god isn't there any in the old testament mm-hmm. I remember, remember I,
1: what, what old testament book are we reading Annie? right now isaiah
0: isaiah And Isaiah talks about the Lamb of God as the servant who receives the Spirit. Isaiah chapter 40, Annie, because we already looked at this. Okay, let's just go back there very quickly. Isaiah chapter 40. We already started out with this, but notice the theme in chapter 40. Verse 11. The Lord is going to feed his flock like a shepherd. shepherd. He will gather the lambs. In his arms. Okay. And then in chapter 42, we are introduced into we're introduced to this servant. Behold, this is Isaiah's suffering servant, right? Right. Isaiah chapter 42. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Now we have this servant figure now um, uh, come come forth in Isaiah who is an anointed one of God, who receives the spirit of God within him. Look at chapter 52. Chapter 52, verse 13. Behold my servant. So here's the connection, right? Back to what we were looking at earlier, right? The servant, and the suffering servant Isaiah. Behold my servant shall prosper. He shall exalt and lift it up and, and so forth. Verse 14. And many were astonished at him. His appearance was so marred beyond his human semblance. His form beyond that of the Son of Man, so shall he startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths and so forth. Look at chapter 53, verse 4. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep is before it shears, he opened not his mouth. So the servant, the servant of God, the servant, the suffering servant in Isaiah... Is described in terms of a lamb, right? But that suffering servant is one who has the spirit of God descend upon him, right? Mm-hmm. So now we can begin to read John and John the Evangelist's explanation of that lamb of God that John sees in terms of Isaiah chapter 40 and following, right? Mm-hmm. Which is so beautiful because now you have a full biblical context in which you see John, John's going, do you see that lamb of God? And you see. I mean, yeah, but give me some meat on those bones. What am I supposed to be seeing? And am supposed to be seeing is the lamb of God as described, the servant of God, right? Who's ultimately going to become the shepherd of God's people. And it's in that context now that we can read John, the gospel of John, in which we see Jesus as the suffering servant who, who remains silent. Yeah, and, and so and so I, I share all that with you, Annie, and that, that I didn't even remember what your question was to take you there, but it's not CNN, right? It's in the context of salvation history in which I stand there with John as I, I see the Lamb of God, I see Jesus, I see the, the Spirit descend upon him, and I begin to remember all of the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, in which God's people are going to become a light to the nations. And John has just told us that this one is that light. And he is that servant, and he is that lamb. And now we're going to watch him walk through the gospel doing exactly what Israel had failed to do, namely to live in the image and likeness of God as Adam before the fall. Hello, Jesus appears at the resurrection, tilling and keeping the garden in which Mary Magdalene sees him as a gardener. So John's John's uh, the whole gospel has to be seen like, is this one thing this one beautiful portrait this beautiful picture in which all of these ingredients are coming in so we can see the, the the face of the son of god for who he is
1: well yeah i was gonna say spoiler alert right at the end i mean he calls him he says he is the son of about, god exactly wow all that and that in this little passage here huh very impressive very impressive well, I have no more questions on on this, unless is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to?
0: Oh, you know, it, guys, there's so much in John chapter one that I just—it's 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 just all too much. It's really all too much, and it—and I—and I'll just share with you. Um, I'll just share with you the uh, a couple of quotations from the church fathers about the baptism of John and, and Jesus. Saint Basil the Great teaches. Water fulfills the image of death, and spirit gives us the earnest of life. The water receives the body as in a tomb figures death. While the spirit pours in the quickening power, renewing our souls from the dead sins unto their original life. Okay? And St. Athanasius, nor does repentance recall men from what is according to their nature. All that it does is make them cease from sinning. And so St. Ephraim kind of brings all this together and says, John whitened the stains of sin with ordinary water so that bodies might be rendered suitable for the robe of the spirit that is given through our Lord. Right. We talk about the We talk about the um, baptismal font is both a tomb and a womb. And here we have the ministry of John and the ministry of Jesus coming together so beautifully. John prepares the person through repentance. But repentance is not ultimately the end. It's not the goal. The goal is communion with God. This is why I often tell tell people that come to me in holy confession. I say the purpose of confession is not confessing your sins. That's not the ultimate purpose. It's part of confession, but it's not what confession is all about. And people are like, what? You have to confess your sins? I understand that. Yes. But confession is first and foremost about confessing Christ, who he is. Which is why in the, in the traditional confession we always confess before the image of Jesus, right? In the in the, in the old uh, uh, confessionals and so forth, and even today, God, God willing, in some places there, the cross, the crucifix is there. Okay, there's a reason for that. In the Byzantine tradition, we confess before the icon of Jesus or the Gospel book. Okay, because we confess to Christ, who He is, and only then. Once I bow down before him and confess him to be the one in whose image and likeness I've been made, I can then see how far I've walked away from my high calling as a son of God. How, how is the mirror looking? Does it work? Right? Or is it not working? And if the mirror is not working, in other words, if I don't look like this one in front of me, then I've got a problem. And that's what I start saying in confession. Right? So there's there's where John the Baptist right calls people to repentance, the beginning of the restoration. And then the ultimate purpose or end of that comes forth then, Jesus having been baptized in the apostles being called, which we're going to t- talk about in just a second, but the epistle for just a moment about the, about the apostles. The apostles are called in the following verses, tr- verses 35 and following, when they begin, the disciples of John the Baptist, Begin to follow Jesus. Yeah. So you have there John, the evangelist, right? And Andrew, these guys were disciples of John, the Baptist before they became disciples of Jesus. Okay. And they go and they go and spend time now with Jesus. They're, they're calling to communion with him. I'll leave you. I'll leave you with, and then they become apostles. I'll leave you with this. The fathers of the church talking about the baptism of Jesus asked the fundamental question. If baptism washes away original sin, if baptism cleanses us, from sin. Why was Jesus baptized? Right? Which is what John's basically saying. He's like, I'm not baptizing this guy. Why was Jesus baptized? And they answer their own question this way for three reasons. First of all, that Jesus was baptized because whatever God touches, he makes holy, right? He takes bread and wine at the mystical supper, the last supper, and he makes it a place where we can receive his body and blood. We can receive eternal life into our souls. He enters in the wedding at Cana and he makes marriage a sacrament in which our salvation is worked out. He touches water at the Jordan River and rest- restores water to its original nature, right? Then the, the nature of water is not to uh, flood the earth or to, or as it becomes known in the Old Testament, right? All those seams of water are all things of death, right? Notice how the fall of our first parents caused a fundamental break in the natures of things, right? Water is meant to be life-bearing. We, we discover water in two places in Genesis chapter one, in which God separates the water and man, the earth comes forth and man is formed, right? It's it's life-giving, right? The river of life flows through the, through the garden of Eden, or the river of life. It's a life-bearing thing. But once the fall takes place, then The flood of Noah, in which mankind dies, the the crossing of the Red Sea, in which Pharaoh and the Egyptians die, right? And so water he comes, has this new character to it of death. Jesus has come to restore its true nature, and that is to give life again. That the old man might be buried in the waters of the flood, right? In the waters of baptism, die to our old self, all of that put away now, that the Spirit of God might descend upon us and we might receive a newness of life. So God comes to restore water to its original nature, touching the Jordan River, and by extension, all waters of creation become baptismal waters, life-giving waters once again. The second reason the fathers of the church tell us that Jesus was baptized was because of that reality of the Old Testament tomb, that there in the midst of the waters, the place of death and burial, Jesus sacramentally and mystically found the evil one who had been binding mankind to death from the very beginning. And there and there he bound the serpent so that the devil could no longer deal death to mankind. The third reason the fathers of the church tell us that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan was to reach each one of us on the day of our baptism. Across 2,000 years of salvation history, the one that is not bound by time is the one who reaches his hands into the baptismal font to pull us out of the tomb. Yeah, we say the priest stands in persona Christi at the altar, but not just at the altar, right? In all things that he does, including at the baptismal font, these are the hands of Jesus Christ who takes that child out of that tomb, making it a womb once again, making it life bearing once again, and bringing the person back to life. This is the beauty of the baptism of uh, the uh, of, of Jesus that he begins now to show forth. The reality is not only for him. But for all of us, right, all of the mysteries of the life of Christ, these are not, these are not things because they took place 2000 years ago, they're wonderful and we remember them because they are realities today in our life. We who have been baptized into Christ have been given this newness of life that we might be a light shining to the, to the, to the world. We might be, who is the light shining in the world? Gospel of John chapter one, it's Jesus and you've been baptized into him you've been made one with him and therefore you are sent out to be a light to the nations yeah and this is the only thing we have to say about our epistle reading today annie yeah we just yeah. Go and this be with it? yeah okay All right, let's go.
1: first corinthians chapter one verses one through three paul called to be an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god And Sosthenes, is that how you pronounce it? Sosthenes, Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to you who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy with all those everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus
0: Christ. Okay, you know this is one of those again another epistle, The reader gets up there, just like, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to say about this? What the? What is that? What? What? Well, if you just t- tease out a few key, what's 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 Paul saying? What's what is what is revolutionary or, or, or revelatory about what Saint Paul is saying? First of all, Paul is an apostle. He's sent out by the one who's received anointing, right? The Christ is the anointed one. He's talking about the baptism of Jesus, right? Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Christ. He has the spirit within him. And I have been baptized into him, St. Paul says in Romans chapter one, right? He's an apostle sent out, just like Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. So now, When the servant, when the lamb comes and the spirit has descended and we are now given this newness of life in him, now the apostleship of the Old Testament takes place, right? And then what does he say about us? You, Corinthians, you've been sanctified. You've been made holy. And so I just, I go back to what I said before and we'd be done with it. What does it mean to be holy? It means he's set apart for a purpose, right? You don't live like those people out there, but for, for those people out there, right? You've been sanctified for a purpose. Christians, so that you might go out and bring the life of God to the world. As Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, you were born of the baptismal font, so that the so that God incarnate in the flesh in the world might continue today. Did Jesus not say, "I will remain with you always," when He ascends into heaven? Yes. Oh yeah, Father. But it's I mean, He kind it's nice Jesus. He's talking and he's kind of with this, but he's really not nonsense the incarnation is only the beginning of the incarnation you are the incarnation of god saint Athanasius says god became man that man might become god you are the incarnation of god to every single person god has placed you in their life this is why the work at the institute of catholic culture and so I, i i i it's my life's mission i hope it's it's in some sense your life mission also that once we have received once we know the lamb of god once we come to know him once we have communion with him, not just a heady knowledge, but a communion with him. Knowledge is the union of the knower and the known, the making one of the two. Once you come to know him, then by your very nature, that's what I said about the psalm, by your very nature, you must. it must come flowing out of you like the Samaritan woman. You can't not. A non-evangelizing church is not a Christian church because it's not encountered God. This is why the call for the new evangelization in the church is a call for encounter. It's a call to say, wait, we've been living on 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 the realm of obligation for too long. You must come to meet the Lord, to come in terms of John chapter one, come and see. And to be there with him, to encounter the incarnate Lord so the incarnate Lord can encounter you. And the two can become one. And you, as a Christian, might go out there as the incarnation of God to the world and be a light in your workplace, in your families, in your homes, in your parishes, in everywhere you go. You have a gift. You walk into a restaurant. You are the living tabernacle of the living God. You are the light to everyone in that restaurant. If only we understood that as Christians. And renewed that, and now, during the season, is that time of renewal, that time of restoration, that time of rebirth, in which the gift, the seed that was planted to us on our baptism, begins to be kindled, tilled, and kept. It starts to blossom and bear fruit in our lives. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.